What are you doing this summer? Are you digging up fresh graves, stealing dead man's clothes, trying to cross into the other side to fight those who dwell beyond? Maybe you'll be interested in Chadwick Ginther's upcoming novel, Graveyard Mind, a necromancer romp through your beloved Winnipeg, featuring animated skeleton, Valkyries, homunculi men, composite men, vampires, and a very ridiculous fundamentalist church bent on destroying the world as we know it. Coming July 2018 from Cheesing Publications. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pope Science. This is Super Pope Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. But for the last 10 episodes, we mostly talked about how it got sold. So I thought it would be kind of fun. Business, business, business. Yeah, I thought it would be kind of fun to actually talk about the creative side. Um, And as usual, my long-suffering co-host, Justin, is here with us. Welcome back. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Last podcast, dear listeners, there was some sort of hostile takeover. I still don't know what was recorded, but you'll have heard it before you hear this, I think. So interesting. We also have Samantha Biko here. What? Who is, as you know, if you're a long-time listener, our, officially our most visited guest. This is a three-peat for you. Because I'm just here all the time. All and then the Greg time. feels bad and is like, oh, well, I guess you should, you could be on the show, I Pity guess. Podcast. Pity podcast. Pity podcast. Pity podcast. No, Sam. because this time we're not going to talk about how we sell stuff. Well, we probably will anyway. But we're going to talk about how we make up stuff. How's that sound? I didn't give anybody any preparation as usual. So first I need agreement from the cast. Will yeah. you share your secrets of how you make things up? Absolutely. Yes, and prepare to be disappointed yeah. because it's different for everyone and it's mostly a madcap struggle. How did you phrase it when you texted me this morning? Um, I actually edited it in my head also after I said <laughs> it. Um, it's like an apocalypse in your head and you hope that there's a book in the rubble. Afterwards. In the rubble. Oh, yeah, nice. that's totally true. Oh, yeah. So if you have an apocalypse in your head and you're hoping you can build a book out of the rubble, you've come to the right <laughs> place. Um, I think... So the reason that got me thinking about this is my sons and I were talking about an idea that they had a few years ago for a video game. Now, my sons are seven and nine, and they came to me, Dad, we had this idea for a video game a, f- a little while ago at uh, Nana's and Papa's. I was like, oh, yeah? Like, how long ago? It was about two years ago. We've been <laughs> thinking about it. We've been working on this idea oh, okay. for a while. Um, and what do we do next? And I suddenly realized that they had come to me because I had done this before. And I didn't have like a super cogent, kid-friendly answer. So what would what advice would you do for, would oh, you man, give them? Seven and nine-year-olds. I gave them an answer, which I'll share after, but. I'll let you go first, Justin. Um, I would probably say like, get it all on paper and pencil first. Yeah. Like, Tell me exactly what the game's gonna gonna look like and play with with drawings first. Essentially, storyboard it out. I want you to storyboard out how the video game would work because like that's what we would do at at Complex. You you do mock screenshots. You storyboard and you do like mock little screenshots shots way before you get into actual anything else. The guts of it. Mm-hmm. And now, if this was a book, what would you say? You know, it would be similar, just kind of whatever ideas that you have now, put them down somewhere. doesn't matter where, if it's um, on a piece of paper, if it's in a drawing form, and always remember that you can change this later. Like, none of it is set in stone, but you don't want to lose any of what you already have, and you want to always be able to go back to it in the planning stage. What I love about this answer is this was their fear, Mm -hmm. that once they they showed me some character designs they had made, they, Leaf had written out uh, a paragraph that basically described the basic plot of the game the and who the villain was. Nice. Yeah. And uh, he had a name, which he doesn't want me to mention on air for fear of uh, proprietary issues. Proprietary reasons. My nine-year-old. <laughs> He's like, Dad, copyright. And, um, but they were worried that if they wrote down too much stuff, that would be it. They'd have no more room. That, that the creating it, would stop. That the yeah. creating might yeah. stop. Now, is this, have you ever, 
oh, felt this? Of course, yes. I am nearly 30, and I still get that paralysis because uh, you get really concerned that if you don't get it right the first time, you're never going to get it right. Um, but in years past, I think I've said this on the, on the past on the show, is finished, not perfect, yeah. is what you should really be focusing on, whatever age, um, or even just working on it, not perfect. I know a lot of authors who spend a ton of time just editing while they're writing, and that makes absolutely no sense because they never finish the book. Now, mm. I'm going to ask you both a question that just suddenly just occurred to me as an educator. Maybe we're the problem as educators because we are often saying to our students, and we spend, you know, 15 years teaching them that when you hand it in, it better be free of errors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Your quote-unquote good copy has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, has to be finished and perfect. Mm-hmm. So how do you get over that hurdle? How do you get over the sort of training you've had if you've had any time in academia that it's okay that it isn't good you talk to other artists who are already doing it or you talk to other people who are already who have already gotten over that hurdle um and you just kind of be open with them and be like hey listen i have this major handicap because like you said and i don't think it's the teacher's fault poor greg blaming it all oh, on it's himself no, I, taking it all on himself i think it's just we're surrounded by finished products of course we're surrounded by graphic novels and novels that are are done and Mm-hmm. as perfect as they can be in our eyes. Yeah. We don't think that at some point that was like the rubble in somebody's Exa- mind apocalypse, exactly. right? Exactly. We just see the, the, the glowing final result. And, and so it, in your mind, yeah. that's like what it has to be day one. I know. And like, to, and to you, the reader, oh, it's glowing and beautiful and finished. Mm-hmm. And to the creator, they're like, I never want to look at it again. Yeah. yeah, right. It's your leftovers kind of is what's on display, mm-hmm. right? Like whatever you were able to finish not necessarily what you had in mind. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'll come back around, and what I find Mm -hmm. fascinating about this is that my son's creative process was nearly identical to my own. He hit, as soon as he drew the villain, right, this mad scientist character, he was disappointed. He was like, well, it doesn't, it looks... doesn't look like what's in there. What's in my head. It's not, doesn't look like what's in my head, Dad. I was like, yeah, I know. That's okay. Yeah. What else could he look like? Well, he could look like this, and he draws a little doodle, and he could look like this, and he draws a little doodle, and he's somewhere in the middle of these three things. And I realized that this kid, without all of the burden of, I think, being educated out of the rough draft, mm-hmm. uh, was triangulating. He was already better at the brainstorming process than, I, than maybe us mm-hmm. three adults, <laughs> four adults in this room are, because he was okay. He would just accepted when I told them that it, it's okay that we don't know right. what it looks like. And like you said, like we're so confined at this stage in our lives by rules and by tenets that we feel that we have to follow and that if we don't follow them, then we're doing it wrong um, when the reality is every single person has a completely different creative process um, and that you do need to you do need to understand those rules, but you can't freely discard them because when you're out in the real world, no one is, no one is pushing them on you, but you still feel constrained by them. Right. Do you feel constrained by those rules, Justin? Uh, I'm I'm learning more and more that it's a lot of BS and that yeah, like we're all just kind of flailing figuring that yeah flailing and figuring this out on our own and and that's the way it should be. Like there is no step one to ten to do what we're doing successfully. We're just kind of just have to do it. Yeah. What do we do? Why don't we just? Wait here for a little while. See what happens. Okay, so let's put aside all the all the businessy notions for a minute. And you have an idea. Mm-hmm. How do stories come to you? What do they look like at their earliest stage? Well, <laughs> um, for me, it's always a scene. I I get one particular scene out of a story pops into my head and replays over and over and over again. Um, I'll, do, I'll do an example. I don't, have, I don't have the rest of this story figured out, but I have this idea to kind of go um, along with, with my other books, which all kind of circle around robots and little human counterparts. Um, I think I was greatly influenced by the Iron Giant and like Dragonheart, like those... You know, big guardians, little little guys with them kind of thing. Lake Placid. Lake Placid. Oh, my God, Lake Placid. <laughs> Betty White and that alligator. This is like the 30th time. Anyways. Um, 
so I had this idea where there was like some kind of robot guardian is getting chased by bad robots and they're chasing him because of like his his glow or his power source and so he's getting him and his little human are getting chased by these these bad guys and so he has to in the end disconnect his power source to save his little human and I just have that like that final scene like figured out in my head but everything that happens before that I have no idea yet but I, I like that powerful scene that powerful ending Interesting. So I'm going to puzzle piece the rest of it it together together based on that one scene. And that's usually how all my stories have kind of So there's a bunch of screenwriting theories that say you want to always talk about movements and moments, Mm -hmm. right? So the movement is what happens in the plot to get characters from A to B. And the moment is the, like sort of impassioned exchange between characters. So you came up with a moment first. Always, you have I always first. come up with a moment, or I always call it um, an anchor image, when like that first little sketch of the, the characters that doesn't go away. Right. And with Casting Tonk, we had that with the girl, the umbrella, just hanging in the studio there. And then with Rust and Water as well, it was a, a one-armed robot at the bottom of the ocean with mermaids. Right, that we just kept drawing. Yeah. Until we figured out what it was for. What about you? Dragon Annie too. Dragon Annie too. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Electric Boogaloo. Um, so I write full novels, so I don't have the, I don't use the visual component, but mm. but my process is very similar to yours, Justin, where um, it's like a manifestation of just scenes. I have no idea who the people are, what the conflict is, but it's just something that's happening and it's dynamic, and usually a story builds around that. So I'm currently in the depths of finishing um, a trilogy of three young adult novels, and they're very large, sweeping, epic, complex books with, you know, crazy magic systems and all that stuff. Um, And I just finished the final copy edits on book two, which is really influencing me on book three. And I'm at this stage where I've reread the book, and I'm just like, I remember not knowing where any, what any of this was going to be. <laughs> and it was just like four like anchor points in the plot, like you said. Um, very vague. And somehow 130,000 words came out of that and was able to dynamically develop all of these plots. Okay, but hold on. Don't just jump to 130,000 <laughs> no, words. The thing, but the thing is that um, I wouldn't have gotten there if I hadn't have sat down with those images Put them out. Put them down on a piece of How'd paper. How'd you do it? Did, when, you, when you put them out, you say put them out. Did you draw them? Did you write them? I Did had, you point form? So for this book, for this one that I just finished editing, it's this enormous book, um, I started, um, I would just write essays, basically. Just essays. long form essays on what was happening um, in these scenes in my brain. And then I would translate some of those minor events to um, recipe cards. And I would put a chapter title on the back of the card. And I'd say, this is what happens in this chapter. And I would sit down on the floor and move them around for where they were going to be. And then I had these I've always wanted to do And then I would have these gaps and I'd be like, well what would happen between this card and this card? And then I would just write a scene and I'd put it there temporarily and also give myself the freedom to move these cards around knowing that it wasn't set in stone. So the only way I got to this point where I actually finished the project was that um, I took these images, it just kind of manifested like kind of organically on their own and I plotted around them and built story around them. And then when I had all the plotting done, I sat down and wrote it. Which Don't is something make it sound so easy. which is a system <laughs> that I never used for the first book. Oh, I so you pants, only did that for the second. You pants the I first one. I pants the first one and it was very anxiety inducing. Was all this right. always going to be a trilogy or did this was this one book that It was yeah. one book oh, and dear. my publisher said, Oh, is it just one or a trilogy? And I said it could be a trilogy without uh, thinking about it. Okay, so for the dear listener slang <laughs> update, pantsing is when you write by the seat of your pants. You don't know what's going to happen next. You just That's right. write whatever comes into your mind. And then plotting, of course, is what the publisher does for how to kill us all. No, that's different. Uh, plotting <laughs> is when you plan the beats of the story and then write to fit that plot. Mm-hmm, yes, and you also have to find that nice balance where you're not spending all of your time plotting. You just kind of want to have a general sketch of what's going to happen and then just sit down and let the writing kind of take its course because if you spend all this time over plotting, then you lose the moment. So I have a similar system when I do, when I work on graphic novels, but I want to ask you a follow-up question. Mm-hmm. You're putting all these different, you know, there's, you have the story on cards essentially. Mm-hmm. And so you have all these different shapes that the story can take. How do you know you didn't miss a better one? as you're moving them around like how do you get over that how do you say okay now if there's a better one it'll come to you at some point 
But where does that confidence come from? I think, you know? it's, I think it's um, also not confidence. It's also self-care. So. <laughs> you just have to kind of say, look, this is the direction that I've chosen. And um, someone else or me in a parallel universe may have chosen a different direction, but this is the one that I've chosen to go with, and I'm going to commit to that. And also, write a series, so if you screw up something in book two, you can fix it in book three! <laughs> hey! Um, <laughs> but, uh, and that comes from practice, and that comes from just sitting down and doing it. And um, it comes from creating projects that you know are never going to see the light of day or that you've just finished from A, B, and C just because you wanted to get it out and you put it in your trunk and you walk away. And the more you just kind of build up that experience, the more the more comfortable you become on just committing to the directions that you take, I think. So one thing that I think that all of us do is we um, make up more things than we could possibly make in a given year. Like we come up with ideas, outlines, concepts, <coughs> right? How do you know when to let go of one? And just say, okay, well, that was a pretty good idea, but I'm never going to make that. Let it go or yeah. shelf it? Yeah. Well, Why are you asking. letting it go? Because yeah. you'll die soon. Wow. <laughs> so eventually. How old are you again? What? Oh, my God. You're not that old, bud. Because <laughs> I wanted to ask, like, I, I was thinking about this because I'm sure you guys do too. There are stories, like, especially when I was starting out, I, there was really epic stories that I wanted to tell that I did not have the skill set to tell. Right. And I'm eventually, I've shelved them. I haven't, I haven't lost them they're not gone yet but i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna write this story that is like 12 characters and like huge story arcs and floating cities well, that crash even, down even on the smaller scale you and i have talked about doing the follow-up to cassie and tonk we're kind of not visually not ready until we try a few other things oh God, first. i can't wait to tell i figured out the third one. Oh my anyways gosh. okay we'll have the yeah. off off microphone ladies and gentlemen but you have an idea so here's a, no actually let's let's we won't explain the idea yet because uh on the advice of my nine-year-old son we have to worry about our proprietary licensing here but you have an idea how do you know it's the right one uh it sticks around um i was actually like the the last couple months i've had like three or four books i'm, I'm ready to start my new graphic novel but i wasn't sure which one and i've got kind of three or four like on the docket that all could be started up um, for me to finish this year. And I just kind of had to, to take a couple days and think about them all. And the one that got me most excited and the one that I saw most clearly in my head, that's the one I went for. I just, I could envision how it's going to go and what it's going to end up to be. So it was just the clearest picture in my head. Right. So I have those same moments, but I, sometimes they run for six, eight weeks. Yeah. And I'm not finished. And so I'll just, if the, steam runs out i just switch on to a different project but s- do you eventually come back i usually come yeah. back yeah yeah i would say so eight out of ten times i come back sit and two out of those ten i usually if it lasts two years sort of on the hard drive or in my mind or as notes and it hasn't become something of its own i cannibalize it for the current project so you know sometimes i have a character who's like you know whatever i've designed a villain or i've designed a organization or a place or a whatever it is or some robots or something that i think are its own thing and then i'm working on the new project and i need organization x or setting b or some characters i just say oh well i actually i made all these for this other thing i can't figure out what to do with i'll recontextualize them for this what's that in your hand it's um it's, it's a comic book what's it about it's about a turbo rider. <gasps> That's rad. You ever thought about doing like uh, was it Grant Morrison who did? Uh, he basically made a graphic novel of a pitch. Like he had this huge. Maybe it wasn't Grant. Um, I forget the name of the book, but it's it's not a it's not a storybook. It's just a like basically concept of what could be like a 12 volume like epic graphic novel. And he did it as a book. And he did it as a book. We have to look this up figure out what it is but you guys keep talking i'm gonna find it on the shelf okay he's gonna find it on the shelf oh you're thinking of 12 days then if it's on our shelf i think that or 13 days or something i forget it has a days in the title sam Mm. so you've got an outline Mm -hmm. you've got them on these cards yeah they're floating around Mm -hmm. then you say ah now what Mm, actually it's kind of more of i use that to get myself going because it is very stressful when you sit down you're like oh god i have i have been contracted to write this book it's due at this time 
I really need some direction, otherwise I know I'm not going to get it finished. So what I'm talking about is a book that actually has been, that has a hard deadline because of a publisher who has purchased it. So there's an added layer of, oh no, I have to get it done, not, oh, I should shelve it because the right. direction isn't going. Movement gives shape to form you, once you have Yes, a- but that also motivates you to finish it and just get it done and also just kind of commit really hard to whatever concept it is that you're running with. Um, so but, because that's time, right? Mm-hmm. So just... So like the file cards thing... It had days in the title. 18 okay. days, there it is. He found it on the By shelf. By Grant Morrison, and you were correct. I never get people's names right when it comes to artwork, so I'm really proud of myself right now. But it's, it's a just... It's just a big. It's just a big pitch book. Yeah, yeah Justin's walked over to the uh, studio library. I can't believe library, I actually found it. We have found s- the book we were talking about. I didn't realize it was a pitch it's, book either. It's telling like, hmm, hmm, something to think about there, Greg and dun, Justin. Dun, dun, dun. Whole book of all your pitches. We have well, many pitches. I I make art books, and I'm a big, huge um, champion of the art book. I tell all my friends to put together all that artwork that never sees the light of day into an art book. And I usually put pitches in mine. So in volume one, I talk about doing Cassie and Tonk. In volume two, I talk about doing Rust and Water. In volume three, I'm going to talk about the next couple books. It's like a contract with your fans? Yes, that's exactly it. I've written it down. I've put it out there. Mm-hmm. So now I have to deliver. It's a brand promise. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all well and good for you successful people who have all these books under your belt. He says but narrowing how? his eyes when he's had like four, five, six books. No, it's more like it's eight like or 16. nine. Published? Doesn't, no, I, you're, doesn't on, you're the one on trial here. <laughs> you're the one on trial here. I've got lots of books, but the point is that when you're starting, mm-hmm. none of those things matter because mm-hmm. you start over again at the beginning. Of course. Right? Yeah. Um, I s- was thinking about whether or not there's a difference between the first book I did from idea to holding it and this next book that I sold the concept to a publisher before I had written it. And mm-hmm. now I have to write it under contract mm-hmm. within a certain time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, your favorite, a deadline. I like mm-hmm. deadlines. You're, you like watching them fly by, right? I like, no, I, actually, <laughs> I, I really actually like deadlines, but they don't always work. For the creative process? For the creative or? process. Mm-hmm. And so what I've learned in the last sort of three, four years, is to whatever I think is the time I need, I try to ask for twice that. Just so that, you know, like whatever seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. And if you were working every day and you were doing it and you were doing it like a job, you should try to add 50% or maybe 100% to what you think is going to work because it's hard sometimes to get the story right. It is hard, mm-hmm. yeah. But you'll have an editor or two on the project with you, won't you? Yes. So you'll I will. have some outside perspectives outside that can lend some can lend some buffer space to your anxieties. But when you're starting, it's mm-hmm. just a bunch of scribbles. So it's interesting because I'm sort of a mid I have a midpoint between you two. I come up with some moments and then I write out a rough plot, um, just as a point form for where things could fit. And I usually use uh sort of an adapted version of Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey mm-hmm. to just like ask myself, do I have enough things in a story to make the story a complete cycle to get my character to a new place? Um, and then once I have that, I sort of put it all aside and start somewhere in the middle. And if it's a graphic novel, I try to illustrate three or four moments uh, and movements just to try and find the pacing of the story. If it's just prose... I usually write the last couple of pages first and then go back to the rest and try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't have an ending, this why should I start? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also, um, on this book, the sequel that I just finished, um, I didn't write it linearly. I plotted it out linearly, and then when I felt more like writing certain scenes with certain people, I would sit down and write those, not necessarily in the same order. write it in Mm -hmm. order. No, and that lends quite a bit to um to just kind of filling it in right so that you aren't stressed out about this endless blankness in the horizon because you're like oh i've already peppered it with things so i can just come back and write what came before it now did you have more than one character perspectives i had five you have five characters so when Mm -hmm. you're moving around it becomes actually sorry no i had six six so then we talk about that too where you're not getting 
not getting ground down on any particular part because you're forced to write the big feast scene because it's the next chapter and you really don't feel like talking about food right now. Mm -hmm. You're not having to like endure that part whereas all you want to write is the fight scene. The fight scene. So you put a pin in the feast scene and you go and write the fight scene and you're like, well, what happened in the fight scene that I could bring back maybe and kind of hint um, into the feast scene Ah, now that I've killed everyone. Right. Maybe there's an odd look that someone throws to someone else that I didn't initially think because I just wrote it. Um, so yeah, so I totally would jump around and I did, as you did, like I wrote the last several pages way before the book was even near completion because I just wanted to have that. I know where it's going to go, so I'm going to just write in the middle and then I can always go back and I can always fix that. How often do you hit that same target? Um Especially when you've thrown in the plotting element, it's usually you're going to kind of hit the same or similar target. Or you'll have created a moment that you didn't plot already, and you're like, oh, well, now that can lend even better to this ending that I've done. Um, But remember, I've only started doing this plotting thing literally for this book, and maybe a couple um, kind of peripherally that I was writing while I was finishing it, because I was always a pantser. I was always like, ah, I'm just going to follow my heart compass. It'll get done when it's done, when the epiphanies strike. And then, but that led to so many projects not getting finished. So I was like, if I really want to um, be as prolific as I've always dreamed, then I've really got to start developing a skill set where these projects get done. But I also get to continue to encapsulate that beautiful creative process. So you pants in pieces. Basically, yes. So now I'm still pantsing in some way, but I'm pantsing with structure. Mm-hmm. You're a tailor now, making those pants. <laughs> making those trousers, those book trousers. Who's your tailor? I took the liberty, sir. When you plot, it's just kind of a basic outline, these two guys fight. But once you get to that scene, you're still pantsing. Mm-hmm. You just, you're pantsing. Pantsing how, the, how that happens. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> like the, the steps, like the choreography. Exactly. Like the majority of a book is choreography and insights. It's just, that's all it is. That's what a whole book is. Choreography and insights. So where people I haven't are heard it put that way. for a podcast. <laughs> I would, I'd have to say that when, I'm, when I have my editor hat on for other people, that's ama- it, it becomes a thing that I'm always looking out for very, and scrutinizing very closely is the blocking and the choreography of where people are in a scene and where they are geographically as action is happening. And so, that's a ma- so then I find when I'm writing that is a main concern for me. So I just kind of try to simplify it and be like, they're over there. Now, how are they over here? And if they went from there to there, did they fly? Did someone get mm. thrown into a wall? Like, how did... So you've shepherded, shepherded hundreds of books into existence. How many of those, by comparison, do you know... Do you have direct knowledge that they were pantsed versus plotted? Do you know? Um, no, I, I, I couldn't, like, sit down and be like, oh, that one was pants, that one was plotted. Right. Um, if they're finished, usually they had to require some kind of plotting towards the end to get there. Um, the ones that are pantsed, you can tell because they're missing blocking pieces or they're missing um, some plot pieces or consistencies because they were just Small going so fast. puzzle pieces missing here and there. That, right. Like, yeah. oh, Like the well, chauffeur disappears. But like, well, that person, ca- how can that person be running away from this conflict when in the last scene they had just broken their ankle and a huge focus was on the fact that that guy had to carry her to that. And, uh, and the author, who's an incredible author, was like, oh, my God. Uh, this book is like in draft 12 and I never noticed that <laughs> and it's like hmm. <laughs> so it's just little things like that um, so, and you can keep overwriting and overwriting and still miss things when I first said okay I'm going to write stuff down and try to make it into things mm-hmm. um, I didn't realize that finishing was necessary to show people the work I think that that's a common mistake mm-hmm. right that you write the first 12 chapters of something or the first 10 or you maybe write 200 pages of something that's not finished mm-hmm. and you want to show it to everyone who will listen. Um, you want encouragement that what you're doing is great and keep doing it. Or that the direction you've taken is good. Yeah, or that, the you know, <laughs> what do you say? It's the you know apocalypse and the, the, you could build something out of the rubble. That's a cool piece of rubble. Yeah. What else you got? But I yeah. think that there are probably... You know, across Canada alone, there are thousands of those first six chapters in desk drawers oh, all over sure. this great nation. Mm-hmm. How, what advice would you to give to those people to take it out and finish it? 
It sounds like that's like the lack of confidence to follow through that your idea is actually as good as you think it is. Like everybody, like when we all start out, we think like what gives us the right to be making this Absolutely. story, Which right? Is, like you're the right to say I, anything new on this. I'm subject. not illusion of grandeur. That's yeah. what. <laughs> <laughs> but like Magic once you finish power. a couple of things, you kind of realize like nobody's really got this. Like I can do this. Like it's fine. Yeah, there's no authority. Yeah, like you have to be the authority on your own project, and you, you have need to, to give kinda, yourself permission. Well, yeah, and you have to treat it like a but microcosm. You, but and people don't give themselves permission to do some of the simplest things. How can you give yourself permission to? finish your book i don't know i mean give them permission sam just say it sure you all have permission to finish that book that's been languishing (laughs) in your desk drawer um and the thing is that there is there does come a point where we really want to advise people on this podcast but i literally cannot reach into it and squeeze their their productivity or their ability to just sit down and be like okay i'm just going to do it you decide that you're going to do it and you kind of if you've left it for a long time and you're still thinking about it then that passion spark is still there so just encapsulate it and just get it done. Like, just do it. There's really nothing else that I can just say to someone, like, oh, follow these 10 steps, because there aren't any 10 steps for motivation. Um, it does writing and creating, while um, they're very beautiful, organic things, they do require discipline, and they require um, an, a, a desire to complete and to deliver that final project and to move on and to continue to create projects rather than letting them languish because otherwise who else is going to finish them when you're the captain of that ship um so when everyone's looking for a magic bullet whenever i go to conventions or they ask me these kind of questions like there is no magic bullet do you want to write a book or not or do you want to finish your project or not but they know about Hemingway. It's supposed to be whiskey, cigarettes, and Hemingway like... is the worst. Don't listen to Hemingway. <laughs> he hated every single other writer other than himself. He would he barely read any of his friends' work because he was viciously jealous and he was very, very self conscious and had so much anxiety and had a lot of issues. Mm. And he is not a man that you want to be emulating. Um, <laughs> while he finished many great American works, he was very upset about it all the time. <laughs> He's very upset. So, so don't judge a person by their book. That's what you're saying. Right. right. Or just just remember that everyone does it differently. Or maybe that if you are also a horrible, small-minded, petty individual, you can write great literature and be remembered. Yeah, maybe if you're that's a man of your time. Maybe that's the Hemingway lesson. Sure. Fight everyone. <laughs> yeah, come on, Chad. That great novel's in there. That's right. Finish Whiskey it. and punches. <laughs> yeah. That's how you get it Hey, done. you finished it. We just, the book's in layout now. It's Chad true. finished his book. Yeah, we're oh. talking about Chadwick Ginther, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no. uh, oh <laughs> you weren't? No, I was just talking about a generic Chad. Oh, oh well, we like, know a Chadwick Ginther. <laughs> you were like, but Chad's book is No, fun. I was not yeah, about Chadwick. Graveyard Mind, right? That's the new book. Yeah. He just finished. I saw him promoting it. It's going to be out. Like last week, Goodness. you laid it. Oh, that's right. You laid I it. edited it. You edited it, and I f- oversaw the proofreading, dun, and dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> I laid it out. <laughs> so it's, it's so it's going to be finished. It's going to be finished done. and done. Was he on time? Oh yeah, I want the secrets. Well, he's not here to defend uh, himself. <laughs> poor Chad. Um, he was on time. He handed it in like many, like a very long time ago before we we entered into these stages. Um, but he hadn't looked at the book. Um, so I started editing it in early 2018, and he hadn't looked at it since he finished it in 2016. Ooh. So um, I had a lot of notes <laughs> and a lot of um, a lot of things, but also with the understanding of he just finished it and was like, done, done. Not going to think about it now. And then it got mm. it got to my table. So hold on, this okay? I swore we weren't talk about the business side, but I lied. So if you're a Frank. writer and you're creating projects mm-hmm. and you have finish something and you don't know where it goes it can go in your drawer and wait until Mm -hmm. an opportunity arrives for it sure can do Um, you think chadwick like after two years like he had he was like refreshed and ready to like jump back into the project or is that one of those things like once it's done you don't want to look at it again you know like to have to come back and make well, we're changes. We're going to get him on this show, so we'll ask yeah. him directly. But I want the secrets There's from Sam There's certain projects where, where I'd love to come back after two years and certain projects where I never want to see it again. Um, I only get that way when it's published and done. Yeah. When it's at that stage where it's going to go to someone and it's going to be reshaped and um, tidied up. Um, yeah, I, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm excited to get back into it. And he was he was fresh, and he was like, yeah, I haven't looked at this in two years, so now I can look at it objectively because Good. he yeah, wasn't yeah. so tangled up in it. And it was it's a very complex plot and a very, um, very indelible 
um, developed myth, like necromancer mythology that he built in Winnipeg. And, um, and it was just really, really great. Uh, but then, but it just needed tightening up basically. And, but there were things that he hadn't noticed because he had been so close before. And then when he's far away and he's like, okay, yep, it's objective time. Um, but to speak from my own experience, um, last year, last year I just finished a ton of projects because I just wanted to and I was feeling really productive and one of them was a book that I left in my proverbial drawer trunk shelf for eight years eight years eight or nine years ago and it's just a book it's just a YA book I wrote 100 pages and I was like you know what um I kind of had one of those moments of insight where I was like I'm not the writer that I want to be to finish this book And I kept wanting to go back to it, and I would keep drawing sketches of it and the characters, and I really, really loved it. And then um, last year, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, just gonna get it done. And then what I did is I completely, I added in all these characters that hadn't been in there before, completely rewrote concepts, completely rewrote the main character, and finished it in eight weeks because I was just like. Yeah, we're just going to do this. Because you just leveled up to, like, so much compared to eight years ago, Sam? I think so. (laughs) I think so. And by leveling up, I mean, I think it was just because I developed a brand uh, to to compare myself to the eight-year-old eight years ago Sam to now I developed a skill set that was accustomed to finishing things and yeah. to knowing how to finish them and how to get to that final point and um, also being more flexible with myself and knowing that nothing is set in stone and I can do whatever the hell I want because I'm running this show mm-hmm. and it was just like boom and it's done and then after that I plotted out five more sequels to it do you remember like, the moment where you put it, it in that drawer defeated though um I do I do. Um, I was about that moment. I was just like, I'm too busy trying to develop my publishing career to finish this. Because <laughs> um, I was literally in Toronto doing my postgraduate in book publishing. And I was like, you know what? This can just take a backseat. But it's okay because I have a book that was coming out around that same time. My first book had just been contracted. So, um, so I was like, I know I'm going to come back to this. I knew that I was, um, and it's okay for me to just put it away because I really want it to be good. And then eight years later, it, it, yay, it's done. Today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. Is there a danger? Of- Do you think sometimes you lie to yourself that yeah. you're going to come back to it? I think so. People lie I don't, I don't like to think about that. You lie then I'll to have to feel bad <laughs> about some of these stories. Yeah, you're lying yeah. to yourself. How many have on that list, Kurt? Oh, that, one, that one's for sure going to happen. But there's sketchbooks and sketchbooks of, of shelved ideas over there that yeah. mm-hmm. I've forgotten completely about. I love those ideas. So what I like about the, what you just said, you and I both carry sketchbooks around all the time. We write down all whatever crazy idea we have. You know, we're at shows all the time and we come up with, you know, just sometimes for fun, we come, try to come up with a plot and a finished outline. Every time we book tour, we come up with like four books. Four or five. Yeah. We write them down. We put them in a sketchbook. We stack them in the studio corner. <laughs> and then when someone says, do you have an idea for this? I say yes, even if I have nothing in my mind, because I know somewhere in sure, those Sure, it's going to be three books. Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> right, Sam? It'll yeah, be three exactly. Books. Sure. What are the titles? Oh, I'll just make them up right now. Right? <laughs> because I know that somewhere in those, st- in those stacks is an idea we already did the groundwork for. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I don't know if we want to use like a heavy mining analogy, but you'd like dug out the ore, right? Now you have to... Make it into something. Got to smelt it. Yeah, got to smelt it and then take it to the blacksmith. Yeah. But you have all that stuff sort of piled up. Mm-hmm. The, raw then, the raw material. The raw material. And what you need is a project manager. You do who, need a project when manager. You re- when you require those ideas to be fully realized, that can just say, now these are your priorities for the year. Now let's clear those away. Full for disclosure. Six weeks. Full disclosure, <laughs> dear podcast listeners. We have uh, contracted Sam to be a project manager for us wow. in exactly this capacity. You're and outed. Th- this is my first day, actually. It is. Which is uh, first day. Yeah, I love what you said. No, we're going to keep it a secret. And then you're the one who just. <laughs> there are no secrets. I was, just gonna, yeah. I was just going to be very. Vague. I like the taste of mystery, but it's not very practical. <laughs> so you just get too excited. You just get too excited. <laughs> right? But yeah. when you're making up stuff and you're writing stuff down and you have a plot and you finished something, you have draft one. What happens when you read it again with some objectivity? Or, no, I'll ask a better question. How long do you leave before you think you have the objectivity? I just keep going at it. Yeah, you just got to keep going. Keep going. You, you don't let just, it simmer? No, because like... You, the, I need to break up with it. I know, but the moment you take a, 
I, I kind of feel like this is with that, like a good analogy with working out or with uh, training for a marathon. The minute you stop running or you stop training, you're just going to get into this lazy streak. You just got to keep, just got to keep going, keep going. Until See, the easy to make excuses new. not to. It yeah. is See, so I, easy. I try to start something new. I don't know what it is back. about my compulsions here, but I start something new. I break up with the old one and then it allows me to finish it because I, the sort of the new creative energy I put into the new project and the old creative energy, I say, okay, you know, you're done now. All your ideas are when there. When you say break up, how, how long is that span before you're back at it? Like, are you talking it like a week? It a day, a week, a to a year or two. Sometimes yeah. I leave it a year or two before I come back. I am a devout worshiper of momentum. <laughs> so I am just like, I am in this project. My blinders are on. I'm so keenly focused. I'm going to just keep going until it is done. Right. Because mm. I just like laser focus. And then when that's done and I get a new idea, I'm like, all right, now we laser focus on this one. What if you have two at the same time? Or five? Or you have to uh, prioritize. One, two, three, four, five, six, you have to 21. learn how to prioritize. <laughs> you really have to learn how to put one over the other and just also just keep saying to yourself i know i'm going to come back to these things and yeah you can be really concerned oh am i lying to myself but um you're the only one who knows who you are so if you are lying to yourself then you got to deal with that but just just keep making stuff also we'll be dead soon i wanted to <laughs> oh, <God>. like <laughs> i wanted to just throw in here because we talked about a lot about finishing things but advice i really wish somebody had told me when i was starting out was don't start don't be scott ford and do like two graphic novels right off the bat when you're 17 yes scott ford don't be scott ford. <laughs> don't be scott ford scott ford <laughs> only because too we ambitious. can't we're yeah. not all that good That's um the if you want to make books and you're struggling to get something finished just do something small and really like concise and tight and like a 12 page comic or like a 100 page story or like novel i mean but like don't don't start with that Lord of the Rings space opera. Yeah, we teach opera. writing seminars. We teach graphic novel seminars. And often yeah. people come and say it's a five book, five graphic novel series. And I, You're not ready for that yet. Yeah. You can't definitely do it someday. Shelf yeah. it and come back to it. But I usually say show me 22 pages mm-hmm. where the story starts and ends in a single comic issue length. And I think that's so probably do that. the you most can... common thing we run into at, at conventions. People who really want to be finishing things, but they're stuck on that, that first huge project that scares mm-hmm. us yeah. to undertake. And know? like doing those small projects and finishing them gives you a, the confidence to finish mm-hmm. a larger project, but also can orient you in, um, if you're doing a sample saying of a larger story, it can be like, oh, well, I never really thought of that before in this larger scope that I'm doing, but I did it in the smaller scope. And how can I capture that yeah. now in the larger one? And it's all just exercises. It's all just getting yourself used to working. And just getting yourself used to being in the zone rather than um, existing in that horrible liminal phase where you're just about to jump and then you back up and you're just about to jump and right. you back up and you never start or you never finish or you never jump at all. Um, and that's where people get trapped. Um, when I was in grade, this is a very short anecdote to try to make it really quick. When I was in grade 12 and my teacher was like, well, Sam, you're a writer and you're a creative person. What are you going to do with your life? I'm um, going off to university, and I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll become an English teacher. And uh, she stood up slowly, and she shut her door. And she was like, <laughs> she was like don't do that, um, because I have a book that's been sitting in my desk drawer for 30 years, and I never finished it. And that's what I wanted to do, and I never did it because I went into education. And I haven't, haven't been able to, uh, to uh, do it. So if, you know, and she, she was very blunt. She was like, you know, um, being an author isn't like a... You have to really start small. You're not going to become a millionaire overnight, et cetera. Um, but work in a field that is a creative field that you're not going to be bogged down by a system. Um, so Every I like, person I told that I was going into education well, who knew that I also made up stories told me not to. Said no. Yeah. Everyone who was in the field who had once had creative dreams or aspirations <laughs> said to me, do not do this to yourself. And, you know, I stubbornly said no. But I just... You know, I'd listen to them. They said, you know, you're, they talked about the architecture of your day and how you won't have time for this. And I just said, well, I won't, I won't create my day that way. And I didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I did have time to make books. Because you did do though, you did, you were a teacher and you also did creative things at the same time. And also you turned your, um, your teaching style into creative, um, like in ways that other teachers might not have um, because it was informed by your own creative um, predilections. It was informed by my study of constructivist teaching models Mm -hmm. more than anything, that the old paradigm of education um, 
rote learning doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? It it can produce wonderful drones, but it doesn't produce thinkers. Yeah. And we are going to manufacture all the drones we need, so we might as well create thinkers. Mm-hmm. So the constructivist model, in brief, is the idea that you explore ideas rather than present ideas. Right. Hmm. Right? Kind of like what we do now as a job, is we explore ideas, right? And then when we have enough of them... In a row, we put them in. <laughs> you like you lay down them. in the rubble and you're like, "How I finish? Yeah. Call Sam." I <laughs> just have rubble now. No, I'm kidding. You guys have been. You guys have done great without me. <laughs> but we need you now for phase two. I'm three. a bionic arm. That's what I'm here for. You have a grappling hook. No, attachment? I am your bionic oh. arm for yeah, well, your work. If I'm gonna have a. Sure. I need a grappling hook if that. Sure, like Darkwing Duck. Yes. Darkwing Duck. <laughs> I am the terror that flaps in the night. <laughs> oh my god. When there's trouble you call DW. <laughs> Let's get dangerous. Occasionally madness occurs when you're talking too much about creative stuff. Um, do you guys have inspirations? We'll to we'll talk briefly about where you go when you have no ideas. You're in the desolate dark emptiness between projects. What do you do? I've not been there in a very long time. Oh, that's nice for you. That's nice for me. I don't know. I just go for walks. I consume a lot of media, a lot of different types of media. That's what I reckon, like music, film, like all kinds of film. Like I'm not talking about blockbuster. I'm talking like foreign film and indie film and very weird, bizarre stuff and, uh, and artwork from other people. And then you just... I don't know, you just let it all percolate in a big soup. Yeah. <laughs> and then something usually organically manifests after you've done some kind of seance. And yeah. <laughs> given some kind of a tribute to your heathen gods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were you, you weren't present for the Kikon 30 seance, were you? Mm-mm. Oh, we'll tell that story on another podcast. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, Lee Moyer, I'm talking about you. Um, Justin. Uh, usually a run. Um, Cause yeah, I find endorphins really help with the creative process and, um, like soundtrack music. I like listening to soundtrack music while not watching anything or just like running, listening to soundtrack music. And then usually my own movies start playing in my head. And those are usually the ones that I want to make into books. So how is it? Because I think you and I, all of us have that same thing where we have these little ideas, people, characters, voices show up in our heads. We write them down and we don't say to ourselves, oh, I have a mental illness. We say this can be used for a creative process. Yes. How, you know, why? How what can, gives you the right? What gives you the right? <laughs> where do you get off? Where do you get off? <laughs> Who gave you permission? Yeah. I want to know. To not be mentally Yeah, well, Ill. you know, like... People train themselves. I'm sure there are people maybe listening to this podcast right now just out of a morbid curiosity for how the sausage gets made, saying to themselves, well, yeah, I have thoughts and ideas like that. I just push them aside. Mm-hmm. What if, why? Because I'm not good at math, so. Because you're not good at math. <laughs> this is the reason you make things. Yeah. Because you're not good at math. Oh, yeah. I'm glad math. to know this as I drop our next contract. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just... I guess some people have a higher predilection to being um, taken for a ride by by their ideas or just having it like grab them so hard it won't let them go. And people, I think the um, people who are putting them aside also may just think, well, again, it kind of comes back to the confidence thing or to the, um, they don't feel like they have the authority or the right. They just say, oh yeah, I have those ideas all the time. I'm not going to do anything with them. I don't know how to write. I don't know how to paint, sculpt, draw. I don't know how to do any of that. Um, but what it comes down to is that a lot of those skills literally just take sitting down and doing it for many years, many hours. And then all of a sudden you've built up a skill set and an acumen and kind of like developed a new language to interpret the things that you're pushing aside. But Mm -hmm. people just don't think they can do it. So they're just like, meh. And they just focus on other stuff. Maybe math. Maybe math. Maybe math is how they they paint their masterpieces. What you just said with the language, the whole, um, like I think, the magic of what we do and, and why we practice so much is that we're, we're translating what goes on in your head to the physical page. I think that's what good writing and good art is. It's just you've tr- you're a better translator than most. Mm-hmm. Is it something you can learn? Or is there a difference here between talent and skill? 
I've been thinking about this a little bit. Um, I think like back to when I started in like in high school, there was kids who just got algebra day one and understood the concepts and could take that and, you know, go further with it. Like they just understood the core concepts and they could run with it. I couldn't like I just like it was like a brick wall and I had to really struggle through stuff like that. But drawing fundamentals, give me that and I can figure out two and three point perspective and draw a crowd scene way quicker than other people. So it's just the way like I'm, you know, my spatial intelligence is more so developed than each according to our gift. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and I think it comes down to just having like maybe an inherent predilection to doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and some people, maybe they, maybe like there are tons of people out there who, when they were kids, really good at drawing stuff and then they didn't really pursue it at all. Right. And that, that could be for a number of reasons. And most of it is usually environmental or your, you know, your family saying to you, well, you can't really do much with that. So you should just drop that skill in favor of maybe developing a different skill. Um, same with writing, same with a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, because like you were saying at the beginning, um, where, you know, you're kind of, you're a creative person and you're put into a school system where they're very focused on expository writing and essays and there's a structure and you have to follow it. That can actually, um, heavily erase that kind of creative spin that you take when you're writing teaching those um, fish how to climb trees yeah (laughs) yeah exactly the the truth there too is that the job i do now didn't was had not been invented the technology the programs the the market that i sell into none of those things existed at the time when people were giving advice to me Mm -hmm. as to what my career could be yeah and so i think that's truer today than it was Mm -hmm. in the past yeah and I think that um, anyone can pretty much do anything if you have the right tools and the right mentorship and the people around you who are supporting you in doing that when they find that it's something that you love and they're not trying to squish it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there are a lot of factors involved in that, I think. Just we have to mitigate them. Okay, well, this has been Super Pulp Science, where this time we actually talked about how stories got made instead of just focusing on the business side. Um, I've had Justin Curry and Samantha Biko here. Um, They've shared their secrets with us. Do you have any final secrets? Just do it. (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) Yes, Shia LaBeouf, that story. Right up. Actual murderer, Shia LaBeouf. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. This is Gregory Kamichuk encouraging you to join the fight, write stories, and make comics. Mm-hmm.